fantastic. Well, welcome. <laughs> welcome to our Christmas service. There's lots of new faces. It's really, uh, hopefully I'll get to meet all of you. Uh, that'll, be, that'll be wonderful, but, but welcome, welcome. Welcome to our Father's house. So good. Well, today uh, you may have received a postcard. That we, I know a bunch of our regulars gave away a whole bunch of postcards. And so on that postcard was this picture, Jesus is the greatest gift. Jesus is the greatest gift. And on the back of the postcard, it actually said, come and find out why we think Jesus is the greatest gift. And so that's what I'm speaking on today. Answering that question, why I think that Jesus is the greatest gift that the world could ever imagine. So let's open in prayer and we'll get into it. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you so much for Jesus. Like we have the benefit of living this side of the cross. We have the benefit of actually understanding a bit more about your, uh, about your plan in this world. And even though we've still got lots of questions, and even though we've still got lots of different ideas and discrepancies about, about what might happen in the future, Lord, it's, you've, you know, we're living this side of the cross. It makes so much more sense to us now. And so, Lord, I pray that today that will become really clear, that why Jesus came, why we consider him the greatest gift. And Lord, I just pray that you'll speak to us, that you will fill in the blanks, that you will uh, help me say your words, not just my own. And uh, yeah, help everyone hear your words, not my own. Ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, I don't know, every family is a little bit different. Uh, are there any families who actually have their Christmas presents already under the tree? Yeah, there's a few. Awesome. We're not one. We've got them all hidden somewhere where all the kids know where they are. Um, have you ever, have you ever seen, oh, we've got some presents here. I'm just going to go for the biggest one because that's my personality. Have you ever looked at a present and kind of gone, oh, I wonder what's in it? Yeah? Put up your hand if you've ever done that in your life. Yeah, I, I, I'm surprised that not everyone's hands up. I'm just going to assume you're shy. Have you, have, you, have you ever looked at one and kind of gone, oh, I wonder if, wonder what it is? And even, oh, hopefully I didn't just break it. It's not breathing, so it's probably not a puppy. Um, have you ever, like, touched and felt it and, and, and even started to imagine what was in this gift? And even start to hope for what was in it? Oh, I hope it's that XP 2000 that I've been hoping for. I made that up. I don't know what that is. Um, But I'm sure you're all putting your own ideas. Oh, I hope it's that thing. I hope it's that XP 2000. I've, I've really wanted one of them. I hope that's what it is. And then you get to Christmas Day and you get to open it. I'm not going to open it now. But imagine that. You get to open this gift and then, basically, you're either going to be really excited that it's exactly what you thought it was. You'll be over the moon because it's actually the XP 4000. And you'll be like, oh my gosh, this is better than I imagined. Or you'll actually be a bit disappointed because it was, in fact, a puppy and not an XP 2000 at all. Like, it wasn't what you were expecting. That's the problem with hoping and, and, and expecting, isn't it? 
You'll either have your, need, your, your expectations met or they won't be met. <laughs> Thank you for that sound effect. The people on the podcast won't have a clue what just happened. We'll leave them in the dark. The God's people in the Old Testament, they actually knew exactly what this felt like. They had these expectations of who they thought the Messiah was going to be. You know, that's another word for the Messiah is the Christ, which is where we get the word Christmas. Mass simply means an event, something that's happening, and Christ, it's all about Christ. So this word Christ is referring to the Messiah, this person who was prophesied for hundreds of years who was going to come and rescue God's people. Out of, out, out of, out of, they, were, they were actually being oppressed in this time in history by the Romans, but historically by the Babylonians, by other, by other nations. But they all had their expectations of who the Messiah, who the Christ was actually going to be. Today, I thought it would be helpful for us just to have a look at a couple of different uh, expectations, or actually some of the prophecies, because you realize there was more than 300 prophecies that told us about the Messiah, that told us about the Christ, about who he was going to be, about where he was going to born, where he was going to born. Just pretend I said that right. Uh, where, where was he born? Bethlehem, Bethlehem that's right. And it was prophesied about by Isaiah that he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Like, there are so many specific details about the birth, the life, and the death and the resurrection of, of the Messiah. But it's interesting because just like we can get our mind set on what a gift is going to be, you, and you can either, like I said, be excited that it was better than you thought, and some of the people were so excited when they actually met the Messiah, he truly was better than they thought. But some of them, some, some people just were disappointed because it's not who they, he wasn't who he thought they thought he was going to be. So if we look at those prophecies, just a little bit, I'm not going to read 300, um, but just a few of them. There are two main themes that come out in these Messianic prophecies. And that is these two, word, these two phrases. He was both a suffering servant and a conquering king. These are two of the major themes that come out through these prophecies. That the Messiah was going to be both a suffering servant and also a conquering king. Now the two of those things don't fit very cleanly next to each other. And, uh, and the truth is... Uh, you, you, they, they got excited about the conquering king thing. It fit their agenda. They were an oppressed people living in a land that had been conquered by someone else and they wanted to become their own nation again. That was what they preferred. So they, they read those prophecies a lot. But the ones about the suffering servant, they weren't so keen on. And over the hundreds of years, they, I'm sure they knew them but they didn't know them as much as the conquering king ones, and they certainly had a very specific idea of what they thought the Messiah was going to be. So let's just read a couple. Isaiah 53, uh, 3 to 5. Um, 
This is, this is one of the suffering servant ones. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and, held, and they held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. That is not a very bright picture of who they thought this conquering king was going to be. I'm not trying to say they didn't know these words. I'm just trying to say they didn't really focus on them. Because they preferred other prophecies like, like this one. Isaiah 9 verses 6 and 7. Uh, and I'll try not to break into song. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is sorry. And to us a son is given, and his government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government, the peace will there will be no end. You can see why they liked it, right? He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that day, sorry, from that time on and forever. <coughs> the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What a triumphant prophecy that is. Another one, Daniel 7. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people were. And of every language worshipped him. All nations, all people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting dominion and it will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That's cool. You can see that's, that's, that's the Messiah they were hoping for. The conquering king is, is, is the one they liked best. It's the way better. And this was their expectation. This is what they hoped was inside this gift that they were going to open one day. Well, they wouldn't open it, but he would, he'd come along one day. And that's what they were hoping for. They expected him to be a conquering hero. And the truth is, they're not wrong. Jesus is the conquering king. He will come back. We understand it on this side of the cross. We understand it a lot better now, don't we? We understand that the first time he came, the theme was much more like a suffering servant, but he will come again. And when he comes again, it'll be on that white horse and that, that'll be judgment and, and that'll be when he comes as king and that's when every, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. Like that is going to happen. We live in that hope of the future. But they didn't realise that he was coming twice. It wasn't revealed very well until the New Testament. I mean, if you look in Isaiah and Daniel and these other prophets, 
like you, can, you, you might be able to figure it out. But the truth is they thought that he was going to come and Israel and Jerusalem was going to rise to be the, 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 the nation above all nations and every nation will bow down to them. That's what they were hoping was going to happen. And like I said, it will, but the timing was wrong. But they didn't get it. Even the disciples didn't get it. Excuse me. In Acts 1.6, this is after Jesus' ministry, after his death, after his resurrection, and just before his ascension. Okay, so the resurrected Jesus hanging out with his disciples. And this is what they said in Acts 1 verse 6. And they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Even after the death and the resurrection, they still didn't get it. The truth is they didn't really get it until they received the Holy Spirit. And then it all started to make sense to them. This is what they were hoping for for Christmas. A conquering king. God had a different plan. Like I explained before, in hindsight, we can look and see, okay, suffering servant, conquering king. Yeah, yeah, we we make sense of it. But God's plan is way better. God's plan was way better than what they expected. And you could see that maybe they were disappointed when when, when the Messiah was finally revealed. Even people like Judas, right? Even people, I'm just going to move it. Even people like Judas, a lot of theologians say that's actually one of the reasons he did betray. And in fact, maybe what he, some of them have said, maybe what he was trying to do was force Jesus into becoming the king. Like he didn't necessarily expect he was going to die. He thought that he was going to go, okay, make me king. And, uh, and he was going to make some money off of it. Like, um, and that's why he was so distraught when he actually died. He, he didn't get it. These guys didn't get it. God's plan was way better. Now, in Acts 1.6, Jesus actually responded to his disciples. So let's have a read of what, how he responded. I'll read it again, though. They gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7, he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. This was radical. For Jesus to say that to them, clearly they were still expecting him to set up a kingdom even in this moment. But he starts to outline a different plan. I've got a, my father has a different plan here. He didn't say he won't set up the, the kingdom. He just said, it's, now is not the time. It's not time yet. But I've got a job for you. You're going to receive power. And with that understanding of what's going on, and then you need to go. You need to go. You need to see the, the message of the kingdom of heaven wasn't about the king 
wasn't about setting up a nation on earth. It was actually about going to all the nations on the earth with the message of the kingdom. That good news of heaven has come to all the people of the earth. It wasn't anymore going to be uh, an exclusive faith. Uh, Judaism, just to be clear, was actually a fairly inclusive faith, like, but people would have to effectively convert to away from whatever nation they were and actually become part of that nation and, and pick up all their religion and stuff. So they were a fairly inclusive nation. Um, but obviously the message of the kingdom, he was sending them out and saying, no, 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 I've got a different plan. I, need, I want you to go to Jerusalem, which is the city that they were in. I want you to go to Judea, the country that they're in. I want you to go to Samaria, the country next door that you hate, that you're racist against, that you're prejudiced against. Go to them too. Oh, and go to everywhere in the world. Go to the ends of the earth. And we living in Western Australia are really grateful for that because we're pretty much the end of the earth, right? Perth, I've often thought this. I went to Bible college in America for a little while and you could hold a globe up from where I was in America and hold a round globe up. And we were like almost, Perth was the closest city to the other end of the world from where I was. Obviously not from Israel. But, um, but Perth is the most isolated city in the world. And then Geraldton, we're five hours drive north of that. Like, isolated much. We are the end, I think we are the end of the earth. It's brilliant. And I'm so grateful that the message of the kingdom of heaven was for us too. God's plan was not to be exclusive anymore. It was to be inclusive for all the people of the world. The plan is for Jesus to rule and reign as king and judge all other nations. The truth is he's the only one who's worthy to judge, isn't he? He's the only one who lived here as a person and then, but actually didn't sin. He's the only worthy judge. And I'm really grateful that it's going to be him on the judgment seat. But the message of the kingdom isn't one of judgment. It's not. It's not one of judgment. The conquering king carries that kind of message, right? That it was gonna, everyone's going to come under me or else. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a message of judgment. But when Jesus came the first time, it is not the message that he came with. He came with a message of compassion. The message of the kingdom is really well summed up in, in John, in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn all sinners. He actually came to save sinners. In fact, we were already condemned. That verse says it. We were already condemned. Mankind walked out of relationship with, with God many generations before this. Many generations. We already live in a, in a condemned state. We've already walked away from God. Jesus came to repair that, that distance. He came to bridge that gap. 
He didn't come to condemn the children. He came to save sinners. He came to save us. Let's keep reading. In verse 18, I'm just going to keep going. So let me just read uh, verse 17 again. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the, in the name of God's one and only son. Verse 19, this sums it up. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of the light because our deeds are evil. Jesus came to overcome evil, to overcome darkness, to defeat sin, to defeat death. That's what he achieved for us on the cross. But he didn't come with judgment. He came to rescue us. It was a rescue plan. Jesus is the greatest gift ever because he's the solution to our brokenness, to our sin and to our death. He's the solution. This is why I think he's the greatest gift ever. He came to overcome brokenness, to overcome sin, to overcome death, to overcome darkness. There's a rumour going around the world today that God hates sinners. Insert your own version of your own category of people. God, there's a rumour, literally, God hates sinners. This is garbage. It's garbage. It's not biblical. It's not what the Bible says. God does hate sin and he hates evil, but he doesn't hate sinners. He, we just finished reading that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If there's anyone that, God, that Jesus hung out with in the world, it was, it was sinners. He was always hanging out with sinners. In fact, he was offensively so. All the religious folk, they didn't like it. They didn't like how much he hung out with sinners. That's not what their conquering king was going to be. He wasn't going to be someone who would do dinner with sinful people. If there's anyone that Jesus railed against, it was the religious folk. Can I encourage you? Don't be a religious folk. Don't be someone who stands, who thinks you know better than, than God revealed in flesh. Who, who, who judges him because of your own thoughts. Even as I say that, that's so dumb, right? But this is why they missed him. They had their own expectations and their own judgment of who the Messiah needed to be. And Jesus didn't fit it. Jesus came to save sinners. In fact, he, he can be quoted to say, I came to, to save the people who know that they're sick, not the ones who think they're healthy. If you've ever been, if you've ever felt condemned by the church, if you've ever felt offended by the church or felt even abused or used up by the church, on behalf of the church, I'm sorry. That is not, that is not God's plan. 
That is not what the church was supposed to be. We are not supposed to be a bunch of judgmental people telling the world how they should live. That's, that's not what Jesus did. Judgment isn't supposed to be part of our job description. If we're living like Jesus, we should be loving all people, especially the ones who you might consider a sinner. If you've got anyone in your head right now, neighbour, family, friend, who you feel like there's a distance because they're a sinner, I'd encourage you, pray about that. Maybe God's put them in your life on purpose. What, do, what would Jesus do in your situation? He'd go and have a meal with them. The truth is, Christians are no better off than no better than anyone else. We're all sinners. The only difference between a Christian and someone who's not a Christian is that we've heard the gospel, we've heard the good news, we've accepted the gift of heaven. Romans 3:23 says, "For everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standard." What was God's glorious standard? Perfection to live in this world without sinning. I've never met a person who's done that. Jesus is the only one who's ever lived without sin. All of us are in need of salvation. Everyone. This image that Christians are better than other people is, not, is, is a dumb image. The only difference is we now have a mirror so we can, with Jesus being that mirror, that we can reflect and go, oh dear, I'm a sinner. <laughs> That's the only difference. People who know they're a sinner and people who don't. People who know they need saving and people who don't yet know. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. But that's not the whole story. There's a comma. And it says, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Such, this, is what, this is why it's so good news. What have we earned when we sin? When we sin, we earn a wage, and the wages of sin is? Death. That's what we deserve. That's what we've earned. All of us owe a death because of our sin that we can't afford to pay because then we'd be dead. Jesus paid that price for us. This is the reason he came into the world. He came into the world to share the message of the kingdom of heaven, which is one of inclusiveness. It's, one of, it's not one of con condemnation. He came to save the lost. He came to repair the relationship with God. That's the kingdom of, that's the message of the kingdom. And while he was here, he eradicated our sin problem. He fixed it. We no longer have to live under that. And tomorrow, uh, if you're here tomorrow, we're going to look at more gifts that God has given us. Uh, I won't go into that today, but there are so many. It is such a gift. Jesus has, has given us so many gifts. But I, the one I really want to highlight today and the reason that I consider Jesus to be the greatest gift the world has ever seen is because he saved us from our sin. He saved us from death. Through his mercy and through his grace.
Let me just put up, uh, there's a definition of mercy and grace. Mercy is that we don't get what we deserve. Mercy is that we don't get what we actually deserve. What do we deserve? Death. Mercy is God saying, I'm not going to do that to you. Grace is us receiving something that we don't deserve. Grace is that we get what we don't deserve. We get what we don't deserve. When Jesus came, he died in our place and he gave us what he actually earned. When he lived a sin-free life, he earned, he was righteous. He was righteous before God. And he exchanged his sin, sorry, our sin and his righteousness. So now we can stand before God righteous because of Jesus. That is why he's the greatest gift. That is why he's the greatest gift. I was going to invite the music team to come back up. But I don't want to say all that and not give you the opportunity. Maybe there's people here that have never actually said yes to Jesus. Maybe there's people here that still, that maybe, maybe that God has been speaking to you right now. Maybe some, something has clarified in your mind, in your spirit. This free gift of God's life forever is what's on offer. In exchange, you've got to give him yourself. You give him your broken self and he gives you his righteous self. That's the great exchange. I'm not saying uh, there, is a, there is a, you have to actually surrender to your life. Like there is a surrender. I think surrender is the best word for it. You actually need to involve him now in every decision. But I promise he's a, he's a really good, he's a good Lord. He's a good God. He's a good boss. When you call him Lord, you're calling him boss. And he, is, he makes smarter and wiser decisions for your life than you ever could. And so I just want to pray. And, and if you want to actually pray this prayer, if you want to accept this free gift of God, I'm just going to invite you to pray with me. If you just want to do it in your own mind, you're welcome to do that. But, but pray in agreement with this prayer. Father God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to repair the sinful life that I've lived. Thank you for salvation from sin, salvation from death, for this invitation to live eternally with you. I accept. Come and live in my life. Make yourself known to me, Lord. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live a life that honours you. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.